This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. I am solo today, so you'll get a short from me. Um, First thing I want to say, because I am all about naming and owning these moments, um, you've probably noticed that, excuse me, the episodes have been um, not always coming out on Thursdays, as is typical with the podcast, and Part of me wants to apologize, and I'm going to hold off on apologizing and give myself some grace and just acknowledge that life is just crazy, right, for lots and lots of reasons for all of us. And so I'm not always able to get these episodes out in, in the manner that I'd like, and I'm doing the best I can to share some content with you, to share ideas. I'm super excited about this episode. And I'm also really excited because um, pretty close behind this episode, you'll have part two of my discussion with Carrie Miller, Danielle Scarano, and Brianne Ruse around Dancing with Discomfort. If you haven't checked out the first um, part of that discussion or conversation about my book, please go back and listen to that before you tap into the second part. In the second part, we're going to dive into really the second half of the book and the framework around Dancing with Discomfort, and so I'll look forward to that conversation with with the ladies, and I know that you're going to enjoy it. So, But today, I wanted to talk about you, and it's so funny how I sometimes come up with these episodes. I Can you guess? I jumped on my Peloton this morning. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <coughs> and for the last couple of days, again, life has been busy, things have been crazy. I sometimes... Um, admittedly turn down the volume a little bit on the Peloton and I do email and other things while I'm I'm riding right I'm trying to multitask and today I was like nope I am going to do a nice 45 minute hard workout with my favorite coach Christine Dercole and I'm really going to pay attention and focus and as I was riding and listening to music and listening to Christine coach us through some of these hard hills, it made me realize, and I know this is going to sound silly coming off of a Peloton, but it made me realize that words matter. That turning down the volume in an exercise class and being able to see, because you can see on the screen on a Peloton, and for those who aren't familiar, there are a couple of... um, I guess like data points that sit on your screen if you want them to be there. You can you can hide them, but I keep them there. 
one is your speed and the other is resistance, right? How hard it feels like you're pedaling. And so you can actually, and then right above what you're doing is what the, the coach hopes you'll, you know, sort of the goal, right, for each segment of the ride. So for example, you might be going up a hill and the measure will say, you know, try to hit between 30 and 50 resistance and then you set yours, right, for somewhere in between there. And so even if you're not listening to the trainer, you can still do the ride because you just watch as their instruction on the screen changes, right? The intensity or the speed with which they'd like you to engage changes. I gotta say though, words matter. And what I mean by that is the experience of riding and exercising with on my Peloton with the coach turning up the volume and listening to her words and listening to Christine coach me through the morning mattered. She, she reminded me of things like, <clears throat> you know, what are you saying to yourself, right? We've talked about this before. What's the coach in your head, right? If we talked about self-coaching a few episodes ago, what's the coach in your head saying as you realize this this uh, exercise session is getting harder, right? You've turned up the resistance, you're going up this hill. What are you saying to yourself? Are you, you know, encouraging yourself? Are you saying you can't do it? What are you saying? She also said, um, you know, something that I've heard a couple of times um, in the last couple of weeks in different contexts is, what's your mantra? Think about your mantra. What's your mantra for this ride, for this day, for this period in your life? And think about what it might be, right? Um, I'm in a accountability group, a virtual accountability group for some fitness. And it's, it's several coaches and different people. So it's been really, really fun. And the three days ago, one of the, my friends posted, what's your mantra for today, right? And just thinking about doing the exercise and, and all the regimens that are involved in this, this fitness journey that we're all on, someone posted, I've got this, right? So it doesn't have to be anything complicated, but what it does, what mantras, what words can help us do is sometimes it can reframe something. Sometimes it can be a reminder. Sometimes it can be a way for us to lean into something to help us, right? Like you start to say it and then perhaps you feel it. Um, you know, one thing that I learned in my coaching classes is around, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to pause there. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that yet. What I do want to do, so, so, the, so the episode today is really around um, thinking about the importance of words and, and really, in a sort of broader way, it started me thinking about belonging in action. And many of you who have listened to the pod for a while know that, you know, I do research on belonging. Brianne and I have had a lot of opportunities to write about belonging. Um, I'm an interim leader of a program right now. And it's been really fascinating to try to <laughs> translate my research into action. Um, it's definitely messy work, right? Um, fun, um, um, challenging, and messy. And so it's it, belonging in action, implementation of community, connection, belonging, being seen have all been on my mind probably for the past, I don't know, six to nine months. And so I thought, 
when I connected with, you know, Christine Dercole on Peloton this morning, um, it made me think that I needed to return to this because I think what I've noticed, one of the strategies around belonging in action is that words matter. And, it, and you know, as you, I don't know about you, but when I start to get ideas, then other things start to sort of come up for me. So as I was writing, I started thinking about things that we said. I don't know why it came to my head, but things that we, what I, what that I heard or were said in the on the playground, or maybe I said to to kids, that whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I had to chuckle because I think that's not true. You know, I mean, obviously we're talking, you know, if we analyze that, we're talking about physical pain and mental pain. Um, And both are terrible, right? Um, I just don't think that it's true, though. And I don't know that we should be be saying that. Like, I get the spirit of it. And yet I don't, right? As an adult, I think it's really interesting. and, And I'm less focused on the actual mantra itself but what it reminded me of is again words matter so if that's a mantra for a kid on a playground so if you're trying you know I mean you're doing your level best to help your your kids become self-advocates to build resistance to stick up for themselves to be confident and so sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me right so like at the core of that I get it I get what the point of the the quote is but if that becomes a mantra I don't know like is it is it true names will never hurt me because we know for sure in our own lives and in the lives of our loved ones that names do hurt that labels do hurt that wrong labels do hurt words can hurt words matter the other one I was thinking about and this one is is, is an interesting one to think about. Actions speak louder than words. We could have a debate for the next hour about whether or not that's true. And I think for every scenario <clears throat> that someone could share that says this this statement has, mo- has merit, someone else could give 10 other scenarios where, you know, the, the, the words also matter. I, I'm, again, I'm less concerned about an outcome, a final answer on actions speak louder than words. What I think is interesting to notice is that maybe it's not that actions speak louder than words, maybe it's that both of them are important and both of them matter in those spaces. And so, you know, for better or for worse, as you're listening to this episode, you're getting a little insight into what's been going on in my brain (laughs) for the past couple of weeks and really has been a theme as I said, in the past six to nine months as I've taken on some some different roles, personally and professionally. And it just so happens, and I know I've said this before in the podcast, and I, I said this to a group of individuals to whom I was speaking this week, when the universe <clears throat> starts throwing a message at me or when the universe is speaking to me, I need to pay attention. And so as I was prepping for this podcast this morning, I decided to take my uh, dog Grady for a short walk, and I had I haven't listened to Brene Brown, um, her podcast in in a long time, um, just because it's been cold up here. I haven't had time to to listen, so I haven't been outside with my headphones as much. So, so I put on Dare to Lead, um, one of her amazing uh, podcasts, and this is where she's interviewing either leaders or she's interviewing researchers and experts. 
practitioners around leadership. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> she recently had a conversation with Dr. Donald Saul and Charlie Saul. So this is a father and son team, and it's S-U-L-L if you're interested. And they, they do research at MIT Sloan Business School. And they, they do research around culture. Dr. Uh, Donald Saul is an expert in strategy. He teaches strategy. He consults with all sorts of Fortune um, you know, 100 companies. So um, highly capable and <clears throat> very well-versed well in these topics. And he and Charlie started to examine the great resignation, right? The number, the number of people who have left the workforce um, during and you know, during really COVID, right, our pandemic. What they were particularly interested in was the toxic culture aspect. And so without going into a lot of, of the nitty gritty details of the article, they undertook using Glassdoor, and Glassdoor is, is a website where lots and lots of current or former employees go on and can rate, you can rate different companies on a multitude of factors and you rate them from one to five, five being wonderful, great place to work, one being the worst. And what they did is they used all of this public data, the words, the phrases, and they um, used, I think it was like o over one million people um, and examined the different reasons that people give for their ratings and how those different um, descriptors and words correlate or not with the rating itself. And what's interesting is they found that, you know, when they, again, this re research was focused on toxic culture. And what they found is the most, the, th the top three most important factors around sort of toxic culture were the inclusivity, right? The extent to which it's inclusive, disrespect, and unethical or ethical behavior. And what they found in their data was that a lower rating, so if a, if a business or an organization was not being inclusive, that not having that as a trait in the corporation could decrease, on average, decreased a rating on Glassdoor by 0.6 ninths of a point, right? Which is actually quite a bit when you're talking about a five point scale, right? So that's like almost 0.7, right? Very close to one. So shifting it from a one, from a two to a one or a three to a two, right? That's a pretty significant um, shift. So it's interesting, and they, they go on further, and they've I think they've written three papers. They have a fourth one um, forthcoming, so they're doing a lot of writing around this. What they've also found is, you know, and, and one of the reasons they're writing all of these papers is, you know, things like culture are a cost that isn't necessarily showing up in their their books, right? Like it's it's not a line item in a budget, culture, how much it costs, right? What they're finding though is that, you know, toxic culture is a huge predictor, a significant predictor, let me say it in a more researchy way, a significant predictor of employee turnover. Now, I don't think that's going to surprise anybody who's listening to this podcast. I'm not trying to 
you know, bowl you over this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening. But they really, they have the data now, right? They have evidence that they can share with chief financial officers, chief operating officers, and they've been able to go further to say that it is predictive of attrition, that that the, the toxic culture also contributes to poor health outcomes. In fact, I think um, Charlie Saul, when he was interviewed by Brene, was talking about how they're finding in the research that while, of course, mental health is as an issue and toxic culture contributes to lower mental health outcomes, they are also finding that toxic culture can contribute to higher incidence of things like heart disease, heart attacks, etc. And so, again, hidden costs, because on the surface, we feel like leaders or, you know, um, founders of organizations and even managers don't recognize immediately the costs of toxic culture. And yet there is research that continues to come out saying there are real costs here, health healthcare costs, our own health costs, attrition, additionally, productivity. Um, they found that, and this has been found in other um other research if you remember we talked about a google research article and i'm forgetting the woman's name right now where she was looking at psychological safety and what her research and this research shows is that a healthier culture lower toxic culture also contributes to higher productivity so for for leaders for managers for folks out there who think culture doesn't matter or or that cult, it's not even that culture doesn't matter that culture isn't something that we should be investing in right so like really making it a focus just like we would anything else um, there's a lot of research emerging um, out of places like MIT and this one came out of the um, MIT management review and it's actually available online Donald Saul S-U-L-L and Charlie Saul um, toxic, toxic culture and the Great Recession. Resignation, sorry, resignation. Um, so I would check it out. The other interesting thing, and this is what led me to think about, I wrote down belonging in action, is Charlie and um, Donald mentioned that in a prior research project, they also looked at, and I forget what the aim of the research was, but they were curious to understand the core values mission of you know Fortune 500 companies. So they looked across, I think, 600 companies, mostly U.S. based, and reviewed their, you know, their annual reports, their websites, and some other documentation to identify the most um, prominent and most frequently cited um, core values, right? Public-facing core values. And interestingly enough, and I don't think anybody will be surprised, things like diversity, respect, civility, ethical behavior, those are the public-facing core values of many, many businesses. And yet these same businesses and industries are suffering from toxic culture. So for me, the question is, and for lots of people who are way smarter than me, what's going on inside the doors of these these companies and these industries that's contributing to toxic culture and how is it that we 
can say these are our goals, our objectives, and then, you know, what happens sort of in that trickle down, right? And so this is what got me to this idea of belonging in action. And to be honest, as a new, you know, a leader, a new leader, really, um, it's it's not easy. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest with you. Even when you know what you're supposed to do, you know how important it is to honor every human being who shows up in the spaces where we learn and work, to see and spend time listening to others. It's really hard and messy work. And so, you know, I'm hoping with today's episode and the discussion um, that I'm going to have upcoming with Brianne, Danielle, and Carrie around the framework for Dancing with Discomfort, I'm hoping over the next couple of episodes we can really start to dig into this belonging in action. So for now, I just want to circle back, right, to what I started with, which was words matter. And so I do think that if we adopt this notion that words matter, we also gain some insight in the kinds of strategies we might need to cultivate belonging, to cultivate a healthy culture, and to contribute to this idea of belonging in action. So, so what do I mean? So let's just spend a few minutes. So we know from Brene Brown's research and her books and her podcasts that she says, clear is kind. She doesn't say it's easy. She doesn't say it'll straighten everything out. She says it's kind. So, you know, clear is kind and words matter. Figuring out what people mean, right? Someone will say something to you. We have a reaction, emotional, cognitive, behavioral. Words matter. Figure out what people mean. We can garner connections and we can start to really see someone, which leads to inclusion, right? So what does that look like in action? Well, I talked about um, one of them earlier, mantras. Mantras are a great and simple way to start thinking about how powerful words are and what impact words can have on our daily lives and on those around us. Maybe the team adopts a mantra, maybe individuals adopt a mantra. Um, I've asked students, like, what's your mantra for today? And sort of lean into that. So try it. Try adopting if you're wherever you are and whatever time of day it is and you're listening to this episode, take a couple of minutes after the episode so that you can pay attention to the to the rest of this this chat. Take a few minutes and write down a mantra. And try it out just for the next couple of hours or the day, whatever whatever feels good. And check in. See see what impact it had on your day. Just to adopt a simple mantra for the day. Just for the day. Another thing I've started doing, and um, I learned this in, in one of the coaching classes I took, which, again, it all goes along with this idea of words matter, right? Showing up, being um, intentional about what you say, being intentional about what you mean. And so when I send an email to someone and, you know, maybe I'm, you know, thanking them for the opportunity to talk to them or... Um, right now I'm grading papers, so I've been sending um, feedback and papers to students. 
And what I've been doing, so in an email, you know, you send the email and I just sign my name, type my name, or I'll say thanks, comma, Carrie, or, um, you know, let me know if you have any questions, period, and then sign my name, Carrie, right? What I have been doing, I don't do it every time, but what I've been, what I've been sort of taking out on a test run <clears throat> is trying, if it's, a, if it's an email where I'm feeling particu particularly thankful, right? I might actually close my email that says with appreciation, comma, carry, with gratitude, comma, carry, and, or with curiosity, right? If I have, if I'm, if I'm reaching out to someone because I have questions, I'm not sure what's going on, I need some more information, I might close the email with, um, with curiosity, comma, carry. Again, like showing up as you are, being intentional, and naming it clear is kind. Showing up authentic also gives others permission to do the same, inviting a healthier culture, some inclusivity, and hopefully respect. I think the other things I would say in terms of strategies, and again, some of these seem so obvious, and yet we forget in the moment to enact these strategies. And so I'm going to offer a few and maybe just try one or two you know, in the next few days. The first one, I think it's really, really hard, but so, so important and can have a huge impact. Listen more. This has been one that I have had to develop over, over years. I'm not going to lie to you. I, you know, look, I do a podcast. I love doing podcasts. I love to talk to people. I love to collaborate. I love to interview people. I have what my grandmother would call the gift of gab. I just do. It's in my genes. It's part of me. And I have really had to learn and appreciate what happens when I'm quiet and just listen. And it's amazing if you listen of what you learn. And I will tell you one trick to listening that I've learned, and I think educators um, are, you know, sort of adopt this skill early on in their career is... Sometimes when you listen, you're not going to hear anything. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're in a meeting, if you're in a conversation, and this happens with coaching, um, and I've had to really, again, practice this skill. If you ask a question or you put something out there for, for folks to think about, along with the listening, you have to leave the space for individuals to respond. And that means there might be silence. It's not super comfortable, is it? <laughs> Even on a podcast, it's like, oh, say something, say something. Somebody needs to say something. Why isn't somebody saying something? Do they not understand the question? Are they not listening? Am I boring? Right? All of these saboteurs pop into my head wondering why people aren't listening. Well, the reality is people need time to process what you're asking. So give the time, make space. So I should say, listen more and just wait. And if you wait, and just when you think you've waited long enough and no one said something, wait a little longer. Because when you wait a little longer, ugh, 
the responses, the ideas, the comments. It can be really amazing. And and I have found, and I found this recently, in a, again, in a discussion I was having with the group, I waited. I even told the group, because it was getting longer silence, I told the group I was going to wait. And then all of a sudden, the dialogue exploded. And it was so cool. And I learned so much. So wait. Make the space. Another strategy you might want to consider, and again, these these seem simple, and yet they're, they can be really hard. So you're having a conversation with someone, you're engaging with someone or some group, and you listen, you listen, you listen, you're doing a good job of listening, you've made space for them to think, you're listening more. What do you notice when you listen and then take in the information? What do you notice about yourself? Well, I often notice that I want to respond. I want to comment. I want to emote something. I want to have an opinion. I behave in a certain way. I react in a certain way, right? Like notice, notice how you feel. Notice your thoughts. Notice your behavior when you do make the space for people to share and you listen, right? What happens? Well, sometimes we feel upset. Sometimes we feel mad. Maybe we feel happy. Maybe we're excited. Maybe we feel affirmed. Maybe we feel like we've been um, hurt and so we're defensive. And so we want to react. Well, what I want to ask you to do in these moments, and it can be so hard, right? So you've listened. You've created space, which already is hard. Now individuals and groups are responding. They're filling up that space with all different kinds of ideas and comments. Now you're having feelings and thoughts about this moment. What I want to ask you to do is to ask another question. Before you react, before you offer an opinion, before you think you know the story, Ask another question and see what happens. Stay curious and see if there's an opportunity to learn. The last couple I've kind of alluded to already. So the other one, these are sort of related. I think they're related. You know, what's the story you're telling yourself, right? We've heard that. You've heard me say that. Brene Brown reminds us of that and others. And really, what the, what's the story you're telling yourself is related to what are the assumptions you're making about the situation? What are the assumptions you're making about this person or this group or these circumstances? And I think that's partly why the strategy of asking one more question can be helpful. Because just when you think you know the story, you may not. So ask another. Or even say, I, the, the phrase that I love, and I use it quite, quite often actually, is tell me more, right? Tell me this. Do you like how I slipped that in there? Or can you say more about that, right? It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to have to be a question where you need to be knowledgeable about the topic that's being discussed. You could just simply say, can you say more? Can you say more? This will help you with figuring out and evaluating your own assumptions and maybe retelling the story that you thought you knew. The last piece, and again, I sort of 
I shared it earlier is noticing your own role in this moment. And this is hard. This takes time. So we're going to do more listening and creating space. We're going to ask one more question, even when we're dying to give our two cents. And we're going to check in with our assumptions and feelings, right? And I'm not saying to adopt all three at once. That's a lot. So maybe pick one that feels challenging but doable. Pick one. Questions, listening, checking your assumptions. Any of those would be good. The last one... I think is, well, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to rank them. The other one I will mention is, again, the noticing, right? The naming and noticing your feelings. Naming and noticing your feelings. So, again, some you are running a discussion, a conversation, a workshop, you're teaching, you're running a meeting, whatever it is, you're having a family discussion, and you're listening more. And what I didn't tell you explicitly is listening more and creating space for others. Well, there's going to be dialogue. It could be pleasant. It could be disruptive. It could be nerve-wracking. Whatever it is, this is the moment to notice how you're showing up. How are you feeling? What is your reaction? Because I'll bet if you do nothing else but ask yourself, Hmm. Is that is that upset? Is that anger? Is that worry? What what's that about? If you do nothing else but ask yourself about your own reaction, I bet you'll learn something about the story and the assumptions. I bet you will. Simple example, and I I've done this with students before and and um, you know, when I was doing some other work with, with younger folks, um, it's oftentimes students and, you know, athletes that I've worked with will come and, and say, you know, I got to make this decision, right? And they've made the pros cons list. They feel like they've weighed everything and they just feel like both really good choices, both have trade-offs, just don't know what to do. And I'll say to them, all right, well, let's flip a coin. You got two choices. It feels like they're both solid. You know, heads, it's it's this choice. Tails, it's the other choice. Let's flip the coin. And that will be your decision. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. So we flip the coin. The heads pop up. We don't make the decision based on the coin flip, right? That's probably not a great idea. What's the point of the coin flip? The point of the coin flip is to notice what's your reaction when that choice pops up? Are you excited? Are you disappointed? Are you feeling relief? What do you notice when you flip that coin and that choice is selected? This is more data that can help with decision making because sometimes we spend so much time on pros and cons lists and trying to be very calculated and, you know, quantitative, if you will, around these decisions. We're not digging into what's at, what are our core values. There we go. Back to our core values. How, does, how do these choices align with, right, honor 
or ignore our core values. Sometimes we don't dig into that enough and a simple flip of the coin creates, elicits emotions, a reaction, an immediate reaction often. And it's like, ooh, I need to check in with that. I was talking to somebody the other day um, and I have some decisions that I'm mulling over right now. And, um, you know, someone, it was a couple of us, and someone said something about one of the decisions. Like, we were do running scenarios, right? Like, what if this had, you know, what if, you know, if then sorts of, or what if scenarios. And someone posed a what if scenario. And I said, ooh, that, that kind of makes me worried. And I said to my other colleague, I said, I need to sit with that worry and figure out what that's about. And that's what that is. Like paying attention to how you're showing up and feeling when you hear possible decisions, a scenario, a reaction, that's as much a part of this belonging in action as the other individuals in the space. What are your feelings about? How are you showing up? How are your feelings contributing to the story and the assumptions you're making? And your ability to stay quiet and listen, your ability to ask more questions. Certainly there's a contribution there, right? All right, I think I've given you enough for today. So culture matters. There are lots of researchers out there doing great research and data collection and data analysis. I would check out Dr. Donald Saul, S-U-L-L, and Charlie Saul's article on toxic culture and the great uh, resignation. It is an article. It's available online. I checked this morning um, in the, the MIT Management Review from Sloan Business. Um, they really come up with some great data that remind us that even if, if culture doesn't show up as a an expense on our one-year or five-year budget, there are real costs in the form of attrition, lower productivity, and lower health outcomes, which are critical. Inclusivity matters a lot to employees and can have a significant effect on their ability to stay or willingness to stay and also on the health of the culture of the organization. So what came up for us today is what does belonging in action look like? And I've given you, given you some some strategies to try out. Um, try a mantra for an hour, for a day, for a couple of days, whatever feels good. And then a couple of other strategies we've talked about periodically on this podcast. Listen more, ask another question, interrogate your own assumptions and stories. And when you're feeling ready, notice your own feelings and reactions in, in a moment. And it doesn't even have to be in like a deep discussion. Just practicing noticing how you're feeling in a moment is, is a really good, really good idea and can be really fun and, and interesting. So at the end of the day, everybody, I hope you will stay curious, learn a lot, and just ask another question. Tell me this. Tell me more. Can you tell me what that means to you? Ask one more question and see what you learn. All right, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, week, wherever you are when you listen to this, this pod. Thank you so much for your continued support. 
Thank you also for your patience and grace as I know the schedule has been a little topsy-turvy this spring. Um, bear with me as we continue to produce uh, great episodes and bring on great guests. Um, thank you so much and be well. Take care. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.